0: Hey, Jim Duncan with Nest Realty Sweat the Details. Uh, This week we had Matt Hodges, uh, lender in Charlottesville at Atlantic Bay Mortgage, come in and gave us an education on mortgages, what rates are doing, what they might do, what mortgage applications are doing. Um, We talked about all sorts of things as far as location-efficient mortgages, uh, mortgage trends. It was uh, was a good conversation amongst uh, some really good um, people. Uh, I hope you all enjoyed it. So we're sitting here with Matt Hodges with Atlantic Bay Mortgage, uh, based here in Charlottesville. Um, Matt, how you doing? Good morning, Jim. I am great. Fantastic. So where are mortgage applications?
1: Well, mortgage applications are all over the place on any given week, right? Okay. There's different uh, supply and demand. There's different product that comes out. We like to look at uh, one year over year, the same week to where we were last year. And according to the MBA, the mortgage bankers, we're 27% down on applications for um, purchase loans. We don't care about looking at refinances, obviously. They're 100% uh, so down. So we're off.
2: The refis are 100% off.
1: <laughs> uh, there are some cash-out <laughs> refinances for people who need that. Yeah. So
0: what do you think there's going to happen from the second half of this year?
1: Okay, so... The Federal Reserve is desperately trying to get inflation uh, under control. They have two great mandates, right? One is price stability, the other is um, employment or full employment. We're well past full employment at roughly 3.7%. Um, but we've got this stubborn uh, inflation. And they really want it to be uh, closer to 2%. I think they'd accept 2.5%. We're well past that right now. So they are tightening. They are not buying mortgage-backed securities. They're not buying treasuries. They're letting it roll off of the books right now. Um, that is um, having an effect, and they have since paused their tightening in the last month. They want to see what the results are of their previous work.
0: So my last question before Jonathan Keith hop in uh, is, so on that that interest rate thing we see with the Fed every week or month or whatever it is, when that goes up or down, my clients will say, they're raising rates, I need to move. Is that an accurate response, or is that the right response to hearing that the Fed fund rate is being, is being changed?
1: No. The, the long-term rates is what we care about, right? What are mortgage rates? They are long-term. The Federal Reserve is influencing short-term lending rates. So we're talking about car loans, credit cards, HELOCs, and to some degree – arms that are self-funded by the bank or the credit union with deposits.
3: So along those lines, we talk about rates and what the Fed does and, and how the Fed impacts it. We were talking a little earlier, and we'll, we'll post this chart in the uh, in the show notes. But there is a what, what we'll call an abnormally high spread between the 10-year Treasury and the 30-year mortgage. So normally, when the 10-year Treasury is 3.5%, um the mortgages are about five point three today with a three and a half percent ten year treasury mortgages are you know almost in the in the seven almost a seven
1: can why is that yeah because we are in a volatile world right now with inflation and most specifically those who um look at the pricing and purchasing of mortgage-backed securities, believe that there's going to be a refinance uh, opportunity that comes along. My best guess is somewhere in six to 36 months. I know that's not very precise. I'm not an economist. I cannot give you uh, numbers there, but I do believe that interest rates will drop significantly because the Fed will have done their job.
2: But so so what you're looking at though is the spread is larger because the investors who are backing these these long-term purchases of the mortgages are assuming that they're not going to have those mortgages on the books for very long. So they're trying to pick up their their spread while they can, so that when it refinances, they don't lose money. You know, if it refinances within twelve months or so, is what basically what you're saying. That's yeah, that it's called prepay speed. Um, so it's why- assumed
1: right now that thirty-year fixed have a fast prepay speed. So
2: why do we not have loans then that instead of having points up front, just have prepaying points that that basically say you're taking on instead of going in at six point six percent, we're going to go in at five point three. We're going to offer you the mortgage of five point three. But if you choose to get out early, you're going to then pay us a penalty that'll that'll become the spread, because that would seem to be. It would it would make the actual purchase market far more liquid, make it more available for people to get into homes at a more reasonable price, and the investor would have the protection on the back end. Why do we not see products like that happening?
1: Consumer Finance Protection Bureau. It so is it. it is not allowed. It is a non-QM loan. I do not know of any investors that actually offer uh, prepayment penalties of getting out of the mortgage. It's just not a it's just not a thing.
2: We have balloons and other other loan products, don't we? I mean, not, not mortgage side?
1: Um, not balloons per se, but we do have adjustables uh, from 5, 7, 10, 1 arms that stay fixed for those fixed periods of time.
0: In the last 9, 10, 12 months, have you seen an increase in people going for arms? And if so, what terms are you
1: seeing? Yeah, so there's definitely been inquiries about it, not necessarily – do all the buyers look to jump on that arm, um, they'd be taking a risk, right? If you're buying a property and it is your long-term goal for ownership, right? But that's what most of our buyers are looking at is they're going to live in this house for five to seven to 10 to more years. Um, why put yourself into an arm? Because they're hearing in the news there's a real likelihood that interest rates is going to drop in the future. So I'm willing to bet and pay uh, a lower interest rate, get the shorter duration, which, by the way, most countries have. Are we the only country in the world that has a 30-year fixed? I think we Everyone are. Everyone else is five-one arms or greater. So, you know, it's, it is a bet that uh, most buyers are probably going to uh, pay off with is, is having a lower rate that's fixed for some period of time that they feel comfortable that there will be a refinance opportunity.
0: I heard the other day that the thing is 96 percent of Americans last year got a thirty year fixed rate mortgage, and I'd be curious to know look at those stats today because it's at least through my lens and attorneys I talk to and other agencies that we're seeing more and more arms and I, and I'm advising my guy, my clients to at least ask that question of the lender of what's the difference between thirty and you know a thirty year fixed and a ten year arm or seven one arm. Because you know three and five, I don't even, I have no idea if they if they offer those. And frankly, I don't want to know because because most of my clients are not buying for a three year term because I think that's far too risky um, for most of my clients' thresholds.
1: Yeah, the three one arm does exist, but it's not priced well generally ever. Uh, You start with a five one arm, you look at seven one arm, you look at ten one arm. And the pricing on them is all over the board because there's not a market per se for it, right? It's an asset manager at a bank, a depository bank, or at a a credit union who's saying, what is my rate of return over our deposits? Where can it go? Where can it generate the best rate of return? And so they're willing to put a sliver higher than their depository rate uh, and realize, yeah, it's going to get paid off, but that's okay. We still made a profit during those one, two, three years. So,
0: if you have an agent coming who who comes to you and says, "I've got a buyer looking at X price point, and they, what is your guidance? I mean, wh- where do you start with that advisory p- process with that agent or with that with that buyer? And at what point do you say, "Have you thought about an arm?"
1: Yeah, it, it's a holistic approach. You're looking at everything about the buyer. You try to get to know who they are, what their goals are, what their um, Income is what their liabilities are. Make sure that they're not going to feel stressed with a payment. Um, It's oftentimes assets of what do you have available to use as a down payment? Do you have family money? Because where the interest rates are right now, whether they be arm or fixed, they're significantly higher than they were a year ago, 18 months ago. Um, We try to do the best job we can with giving advice to a client that does not infringe upon a financial advisor, a CPA, somebody else that is a professional, but gives them real data to work with. And we will talk about adjustables, we'll talk about fixed rate, um, based on what the the client's needs are, what their requests are, and where we see it's going.
3: So I'll jump in and kind of piggyback off of how you're coaching buyers in today's world. You've been doing this a long time. You you know, you've, you've clearly got amazingly deep background in the industry. Can you tell us like how the conversation with the home buyer has changed? I guess uh, somebody who's preparing to be a home buyer, how has that changed over the past 10 or 15 years? Like from 15 years ago when you were working with somebody to what what you're working with them now, how has it changed and how how's
1: your conversations with them evolved? Yeah, it's a a fascinating question because I'm in my 25th year now of lending all here in Charlottesville. And I wouldn't say order-taking, but it definitely was a different perspective early on in my career. At this point, 25 years in, whether somebody buys today or a year from now or two years from now, I, I, I do a lot of divorce work, for example, those are longer processes. Um, regardless, I wanna make sure that the client fully understands what they're getting into, um, what the options are for the future, what their rate of return difference is in down payment. You know, Do you put down five or 10 or 20%? And what does that do with your rate of return of monies that are in the market? So it's often involving a financial advisor uh, to make sure that the path for the client uh, financially is is healthy. So it is so much of our consultative uh, process that we go through. And generally, it's a little bit of an intake interview. And then it's feeding back information to the client to make sure it's captured accurately so that they can start thinking critically about how they are going to finance their either first biggest purchase or their next biggest purchase, right? This is the biggest thing that they'll ever buy in their lives. Right, right. And in today's market
3: being really so tight with inventory, um, a buy, if a buyer comes to you today, what, what are the, the couple steps, the first steps that you have with them to make sure they are prepped and ready to make that offer when the, when the right – Home comes on the market. Before yeah.
0: you answer that, and also how far in advance of looking in earnest should the buyers start? With sure.
1: You? Yeah, both both are really good topics. Um, Jonathan, the um, the process of getting somebody ready today is vital to them being successful in making an offer, right? We we see a very reduced inventory of properties out there because there's so many houses that are locked up with low interest rates, right? So when something comes on that matches the um, the needs of the client, they need to be ready to strike. That could be an evening, it could be a weekend, it could be a holiday. Those are the times that we often write our contracts and that we are preparing to get a pre-qualification letter to the, um, the realtor requesting it. So we don't want to have that work to do specifically the prequal piece right when they're making an offer. So it is encouraging without feeling like you're a bully. right? You want to encourage and make sure that if they want to get into this process, they've got to understand that a seller and a listing agent require that letter attached to it. So we try to do as much prep work in advance as possible so that you as a realtor and the client know, I can afford this. This is the payment. It fits debt-to-income ratios for the lender, but more importantly, it fits their needs. Um, now, Jim, in terms of when, in terms of talking to somebody um, a year out, we've got clients that, um, that are dedicated to an academic year, with a university that's not at UVA, but they intend on coming here. We start that conversation. And if there's a a strong feel good that everything looks good in the picture, including credit, we talk, we build up a relationship, we um, create a worksheet, which is based on today's interest rates, not a year from now, but we create all that. If there's a concern with a client that, you know, I'm not really sure where we are right now with my credit, Um, My ex might have done something, Um, there's a collection on my report, then we'll get deeper and we'll get a pull immediately, not because I think that they're going to buy immediately, but because we need to be prepared for the future. So it's a um, case-by-case evaluation for clients. When do we do all of those steps? I want more earlier, but I want to respect the privacy of the client as well. So, Matt, I want to go back to one of the
2: comments you made that the U.S. is the only country that, or one of very few countries, that has 30-year mortgages. Um, we have seen over all of our real estate careers different trends of what takes place in, in mortgage lending, whether it's PMIs with higher debt to in or higher loan to values, or if we're layering mortgages and trying to create non-PMI type scenarios. Or if we're, doing, you know, there are different methods that, that take place on your end. Back pre bubble during the subprime market, we saw n- negatively amortizing loans. We saw all kinds of stuff that was bad. What trends are we seeing right now in the lending? And are there any innovations that you think are going to change the way that purchasers can look at what their their long term obligations are? How we
1: how we focus on the mortgages? So I know that's two different questions. But yeah, so in terms of innovations in the mark in the mortgage world, there's two things I think that are sort of key. On the mortgage insurance side, it has become much more effective to buy monthly mortgage insurance because it's so cheap. The marketplace is six or seven mortgage insurance companies that compete hard for it, a very efficient marketplace. It is scaled by credit score, by occupancy, by um, loan to value. It all makes sense. It's perfectly logical and it's relatively inexpensive. And it can be removed and it drops off automatically at 78% loan to value, uh, 80% at the request of the client. It can be removed earlier in years two to five with other compensating pieces, namely going to 75% loan to value, not 80. But I'm getting into the weeds here.
0: Well, that's why I tell my clients that I know the right people to send them to because whatever you just said, I don't want to (laughs) know.
1: But it can be removed. It can be removed and it should be removed. Um, sometimes it makes more sense to do it as a refinance because the interest rate uh, market has May moved. right. And the values have gone up. Now, the second piece is in terms of efficiencies, we've got something called loan-level pricing adjustments. We've always sort of had them, but they've really come into their own where you have stacked costs on top of investment and second homes specifically. Fannie and Freddie's mission is not to originate loans except for primary residences. So you get the best interest rates on primaries. And the last check I made on second versus investments, it's relatively identical. So it's sort of crazy there. But where I was going with the loan level pricing adjustments is for all those risk factors, there are costs associated with them. One of the great things about um, the clients that I work with is often they fit below and uh, median income for our area, and they're able to get all of these waived. And you've got to know that. You've got to talk to your client about where they're buying, what their effective income is, because we can get you a much lower cost to the the process, and we can get you much higher loan-to-value. So somebody who is just starting out and the debt-to-income ratios work can put 3% down. Not five or ten or twenty, and still have reduced mortgage insurance, lower interest rate, and they're treated properly because it's the mission of Fannie and Freddie to help that first-time homebuyer get into the market. Keith, you want to expand on your uh, second question again? Well, I mean the the innovation point. You
2: know, just the question of what you know what changes can take place in the mortgage industry that can affect what our ability is to. To transact home sales, right? Yeah, I mean, well, that's, and that's
1: the big question. One of the biggies is appraisal waivers, right? Property inspection waivers, PIWs. In a competitive situation, that can help your client win the deal because it's essentially and this, is, this is a
2: situation where you are saying we're not going to require an, inspe- uh, an actual physical appraisal of the property because of the financial strength of the borrower.
1: Correct. Exactly. So the loan-to-value, the FICO credit score... Uh, A lot of things go into what generates a property inspection waiver, and a big chunk of it is what Fannie and Freddie's database looks like. So it's
2: it's coming in with a far more solid pre-approval when you're submitting an offer to purchase a house. That's correct. And
1: and that's a nice innovation that's come over the last several years. Now, it has been tightened up recently. Fannie Mae specifically said we are going to stop approving as many, and I think that there's some concern there that this – Continuing inflation of properties is going to retreat, right? We call it disinflation if it slows the growth, and deflation if it actually uh, goes negative. 100%. How often does that happen in our Charlottesville marketplace, though? Probably not that often.
0: I mean, is is that tied? That is the viability of an appraisal waiver. Is that tied to any kind of, you know, for lack of a better term, is estimate? Any kind of AVM that says that that house is probably worth six fifty. Is that part of the algorithm at all
1: we're not told what's in the algorithm Uh, it's it's much like the automated underwriting from Fannie and Freddie for the credit side we know how to get an approval but we don't know specific data points that Fannie and Freddie are looking at in that instance we know because they've told us that they have a massive database of property and there's an algorithm that they use to determine okay in this instance is this property going to be eligible and there's certain barriers like on a purchase you've got to be at 20% down payment right. you are required to do that in order to get a property inspection waiver
0: I'm so curious now know to know what's in that black box
1: yes
3: good luck <laughs>
0: yeah but what so in your lens you know working with as many buyers as you do in our, our area what are the common liabilities that they have as far as like I mean, I'm thinking my, my clients have student loans yep. and Car payments are increasing, mm-hmm. child you know, child care, things like that. Are, are there anything that you've seen that's increased in the last three years and you know that's common across the your, your buyer set?
1: Yeah. You mentioned child care, which is an interesting concept because it doesn't exist as a true liability for FHA or conventional loans, but it does for VA loans. It's part of residual income that is required. So there's a um, by region South, Midwest, West, all that, and number of people in the household, um, what the residual income is for a veteran. Part of that is what is the, um, the child care costs. Now, you also mentioned student loans. Student loans are, um, many of them, most of the federal still have no repayment. They're still in deferral. But I'm starting to hear that clients are coming out of deferral and they're having real numbers. We have to treat deferred loans Uh, depending on it's Fannie, Freddie, FHA, VA, they all have different qualifications on how you take the big pot of money, $50,000 student loan, and what does that create in terms of a liability? It could be $500, it could be $250, it could be some other number. So that is important, and we're seeing a ton, and this probably gets more to your question, we're seeing a ton of student loans. There is a lot out there um, compared to earlier in my career uh, when I did not see as many student loans. Car loans, they exist. Clients often say, hey, if we need to get rid of that one, I'll pay it off um, to make the debt-to-income ratios work. They're sophisticated enough to even come to me beforehand and say, I, could pay, I can pay that car off.
0: Last question that I have for now until I start thinking some more. Years ago, there was a concept of location-efficient mortgages where if you lived within...
2: 10 miles or whatever, your place of employment and your and your your residence, you could get a lower loan package or whatever. So be- before you respond to that, Matt, let me also add to where Jim is going on that I want to talk about energy efficient mortgages because we're really talking about the total cost of home ownership. And so can we talk about the way the mortgage industry overall is dealing with both location, proximity, cost of, of transportation, but also the high-performing homes and and the way mortgages are handling that.
1: Yeah, so the the Pearl certification and the like, um, that is not generally accepted within the mortgage world. It's not being used. There is an energy-efficient mortgage that can be attached to VA loans. They can do energy-efficient improvements before closing. We just don't see it. It's just not a uh, a driving force uh, within the world of mortgage lending. It, it hasn't become acceptable probably because there's not enough volume to it. Now, in terms of living and working close, there's no benefit uh, in the mortgage world for that. The flexibility of where somebody lives is dependent on what their employer says they can do. And we all have discussed in the past That this marketplace is such an attractive area that we're seeing a huge influx from New York, from California, and from Northern Virginia. And guess what? Those three areas are more expensive for housing than our areas, and they're willing to pay for it. And that's forcing out some of our more local buyers.
0: A a dangerous question, but shouldn't location and energy efficiency be part of the... In part of that equation. If you're if my mortgage is X and then I'm paying
2: a thousand dollars a month in, in oil,
0: which would be insane.
2: I, I will say, I will go back and it's it's been a number of years since I don't represent buyers and sellers on a regular basis, but I did have a, a buyer once who was working on the west side of town and their drive till we can afford it mentality took them to rural spots that were east of town and we sat and we talked about the price of this house that they were buying, which I think at the time, you know, when we looked at it, basically they were going to be transporting themselves 35 miles from their home to their job each direction every single day. And we looked at it and we said, based on the cost of transportation, you should be spending 60,70,000 dollars more to live in the community of your of your job. But they said, we can't afford we can't qualify for that mortgage. We can qualify for this mortgage. It's like you can qualify for this mortgage, but you just added all of the expense in your in your actual car maintenance. And so it you know, the mortgage isn't paying attention to it. And yes, Jim, should we be looking at that as part of the the cost? Every buyer should be looking at that as part of their cost. It should completely be part of their total cost of home ownership.
0: I mean, I I look at that and we all try to advise our buyers to look at the total cost of ownership. And I think you actually,
2: we talked about this years ago. We've done the spreadsheets, absolutely.
0: The blog post about, uh, I called it gas price math when gas was so super expensive.
2: Well, there's also though, part of it is that the EPA has done testing on the actual cost of home ownership of homes that are built in the 1950s with almost no energy efficiency built into that house. Very, what we would call today, low performing homes. Um, versus a high-performing home where you were no longer on public transportation and no longer had access. And it is much more expensive to live in new communities in the ex-urban ring than it is to live in an urban older home, even though the, quote, expenses of, of owning those older homes are higher
0: just frustrated over here that we don't look at things more holistically.
2: I well I think the buyers the buyers should be looking at it holistically and I would I'd hope to think that you know Matt is having that conversation with them as well, but the reality is from a Underwriting perspective, you can't guarantee that someone isn't going to change jobs and move and pick a job that's 18 miles farther from their home than their current one. In which case, how do you then adjust to that that mortgage conundrum? I mean, and so we that piece is out of our control, so we just assume that the buyer needs to take on that, no, we, that the responsibility themselves. Energy efficiency themselves. Is, is within is energy, within energy the efficiency, of the buyers, is absolutely, and, the and, and we know it, and it is an ongoing. It is an ongoing expense
1: that we can Uh, quantify. Logic certainly speaks to that. We should be looking at energy efficiency. Regarding the client that drives a long distance, there's more penalties in the mortgage world than anything. That is, uh, okay, so you're buying in Crozet, but you're working in D.C., and you do not have a telecommute letter. What are you going to do? Well, I've got to count apartment lease up in Northern Virginia, or I've got to find that you've got a family member that you stay with Sunday night through Thursday night. Really? We analyze distance to job significantly. What's it, what's the mileage point where that becomes an issue? It's a variable thing. It's you a could, black box. I'm you, so tired yeah, of a black box. Culpepper to D.C., no problem. <laughs> Madison to D.C., probably okay. Green to D.C., maybe not. So
0: for people who are not listening, like Albemarle to D.C. is 115, 120 miles. Culpeper is 30 or 40 miles to D.C. So somewhere between 40 and 85 miles is the black it, it's box It's a judgment area. call.
1: It's not a black box, by the way. It's an underwriter judgment call. Can we talk to oh, the it's underwriter? It's
2: even worse than a black box.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what, what should
0: buyers and sellers and agents be reading and watching on a limited basis, because I mean, that's ask this very, very delicately, because it's easy to get so much information, you
1: become overwhelmed. Now, I could, I could read thirty stories today, but I'd la- like to read three. Wow! So, it's hard to put a client into a position of you should be following Bloomberg and reading what's happening with the ten-year treasury each day. That gets overwhelming, and it's, it's just fuzzy in their head. I'd much rather the client and the loan officer or me or whomever uh, talk on a daily or a weekly basis as they're looking at properties and we talk about this is what's happened. I had a conversation with a client the other day who said, "Okay, I think we want to continue to float because, you know, I'm reading this about the Federal Reserve and these inflation numbers are coming out." I'm like, "I'm really glad that you're uh, educated in this, but most don't want to be. They're already living life, right? They're looking for a house, um, but it's it's counting on that professional to bring forth to them. They want to do the research on their own, great, but I'm going to help them through that process.
3: Cool.
1: Yeah, that's great. So as we
3: as we wrap up here, I'll put you on the spot for a second. Um, it's a podcast called Sweat the Details. In your business, you have... You know, like I said earlier, you have dove in for the last twenty-five years and and know the business backward and forward on a daily basis. What's the what's the one detail that you sweat that you think makes the biggest impact on 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 you?
1: Oh wow, that's a that's a deep question. I, I guess what I am concerned with on a daily basis is that my client base is informed they are reacting to the the news that's out there the properties that come on board they're ready to act they're not discouraged Um, it's essentially making sure that the client is prepped and comfortable for that purchase and if they're not they need to step back so maybe that's it is I've I've got a ton of people in pre-approved status um, but as prices go up and interest rates go up, they're not comfortable with it. So I want to make sure that they are. Yeah, that's great preparation and and yeah. uh,
3: and, and, and trust and comfort. So, love awesome. it,
0: Matt. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks
1: awesome. a ton. Thank you. thank you.
0: Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you have a minute or two or less, would you mind rating us and reviewing us wherever you listen to your podcast? believe it or not, it actually really helps. Thanks so much. Talk to you next week.